Welcome to Antitrust Code by Concurrence. Concurrence is the leading antitrust database with over 30,000 articles on competition law. Concurrence is also the largest network of antitrust experts with lawyers, economists, enforcers, and academics in 85 countries. By listening to this podcast, you will learn the fundamentals of competition law and hear about the latest antitrust news thanks to our guests, the best experts in the antitrust world. I'm John Davis from Compass Lexicon, and I'm here talking to Inga Bernatz, who is Director of Strategy and Policy in DG Competition at the European Commission. And we're going to be talking about the Digital Markets Act, which is just coming in in Europe. First of all, um, but welcome and thank you. We are here in Palo Alto, Silicon Valley, interesting place for an official of the European Union to come along and talk about your new Digital Markets Act. What kind of reception are you getting from American tech firms, whether gatekeepers or other, to the European Union's new proposals? Yeah, I think it's first of all very important the need for us to be able uh, to talk to the digital community here in their home base in, in Palo Alto, or at least part of the digital community that has its home here. I think what what's pleasantly surprised me in terms of the discussion that we had today is how the tech business um, here sees the DMA not just as something that is coming towards them, but really as also an opportunity that is being offered to them. And that's, of course, very much what we would hope for, because it is what the DMA is about. It's about creating opportunities, making markets contestable. But we can we can bring the horse to the water. We can create the opportunity, but we cannot make a drink. That's for businesses, for, for financiers to seize that opportunity and, and to use it to drive innovation, bring novel products to the markets, to seek that interoperability with the platforms, to make use of all the opportunities that the DMA offers. Um, so I was I was very pleasantly surprised to see that um, the awareness is out there about the opportunities that this can bring. And then, of course, um, there is a lot of, of uncertainty about what it is all going to mean in practice. But I think it is also from both sides an understanding that that's something that we will have to build together. So thank you. Let's try and lay some of that uncertainty to rest, perhaps, by I want to explore in a bit more detail how the DMA will work in some aspects. And as I understand it, and I'm an economist, not a lawyer, although these questions are mostly going to be about process. Um, as I understand it, the DMA is trying to take a step away from the sorts of antitrust cases of the past where you've had to evaluate effects to some extent. You've, you've, you've got to demonstrate effects on competition, arguably harm to consumers. That's obviously a big leading issue about requirement for that in Article 102 case. But a lot of evidence based on what's actually happened as a result of the conduct. And instead, the DMA is simply saying, here are sets of conduct that are prohibited without any assessment of effects. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how practical that actually is. So, for example, as I understand it, there is, I won't call it a defense, but companies when they are, for example, proposing how to comply with the uh, obligation to allow competing app stores and to allow um, competing ways of installing apps can, I'll say, plead in defense system integrity, that, that they can't be required to do things which would imperil system integrity. As I understand it, the word proportions is used in that assessment. Now, 
my question is, how can you assess the proportionateness mm-hmm. of an argument like that if you're not somehow assessing the benefits of the degree of contestability and fairness that, that the obligation is actually producing? That's a lot uh, in that uh, in that question. Maybe let me start by by referring to traditional antitrust um, law as a beautiful instrument, but also a complex instrument and a highly sophisticated instrument. Where each time you start from a, a blank sheet and you identify what is the relative market, what are the parameters of competition within that market, and then you indeed look at at, at the effects of certain conduct. Um, and, and you listen to potential efficiency defenses and you make a balancing between the effects and, and the efficiency considerations to then come to a conclusion. And that can take many years and it definitely takes a lot of resources. And what we have seen is that, um, especially in the tech sector with markets evolving fast and risking to tip and then damage being difficult to outdo, that that was not fully satisfactory in terms of outcomes. So that was very much at, at the the genesis of the DMA to try to remedy uh, some of those those issues. In terms of the, the core platform services which are identified in the DMA um, and which form the scope of the DMA, but also when it comes to the, the obligations uh, and, and the prohibitions contained in the DMA, we very much relied on that antitrust experience and, and of all of those cases, where not just we, but that the trust enforcers also at national level around the globe, a lot of economic analysis, uh, which has gone into it, academic literature, has actually looked over and over again into effects and efficiency and consistently come to the conclusion that in particular given circumstances, the effects were very harmful and there were no efficiencies outweighing those. So from a perspective of enforcement efficiency and effectiveness as a public authority, um, you can then continue nevertheless to work with your very sophisticated uh, resource intense and, and long lasting instrument, or you can develop a new tool that allows you to come much more quickly and, and immediately impose the obligations on those relevant uh, companies for those relevant core platform services. And that is what we have done with the DMA, but therefore, um, the analysis of effects and possible efficiencies, if you like, has been done in the past and all of the evidence that has gone into the design of the DMA and was definitely also part of the legislative discussions. So now what we will be doing is to enforce that piece of legislation, which through all of the democratic processes have has been adopted by the legislator. And so it's not for us to then second guess in that enforcement work, whether nevertheless you know, that conduct really has that effect or whether there aren't any, any countervailing efficiencies. What the legislator, however, and that's also a general principle of EU law, has emphasized a lot is that in enforcing the DMA, there are elements of proportionality. In the sanctions, for example, that we would be imposing in case of, uh, of violations of the DMA obligations, of course, we are bound by the principle of proportionality. And also in laying down the details of how some of the obligations uh, must be complied with, we need to, to factor in that aspect of, of, of proportionality or as you, you refer to aspects of, for um, example, security risks that would be created uh, if a gatekeeper were forced to implement the obligations in a certain way. So there will be scope for, for certain arguments uh, about integrity of the system, for example. 
that a gatekeeper can still make, and it will probably not be easy uh, to assess how how credible such uh, security arguments are. But for that, we will also be working together with with others in the sectors and and, and get the necessary expertise to take uh, an honest, uh, open-minded, but also a critical approach to arguments which are being brought forward to us uh, related to security incidents. And what's important for us as well is that when it comes to to data privacy, for example, or or the degree of security risk, uh, to to ask a question. It's different, of course, when it's about system integrity, but um, whether it those issues are not for for the consumers to evaluate and take informed decisions about whether uh, a gatekeeper should allow to substitute only its views for for something which maybe actually the final consumer should be the final uh, judge of. But very relevant questions that will no doubt uh, also come up. And and again, there is no room to to argue that the obligations should not have been imposed because that's what the legislator has done. But there will be room to check and no doubt uh, that that will also be be done uh, whether our enforcement activities are proportionate. So that raises a, a further question for me, which is maybe trying to break open a bit this box of what actually happens between now and the DMA is, is, is final and is in force, but we haven't yet been through the process of identifying the gatekeepers or further specifying the conduct uh, in some of the articles. So that process of further specification, I think of that as being a little bit like a remedies discussion between the gatekeepers once they've been designated and the commission. Again, is it really possible to have that sort of discussion and to have outcomes of that that are kind of simple black letter rules? Or do you need somehow to again be thinking about effects? For example, suppose that you have been engaged in a discussion with a gatekeeper on how they're going to comply with a piece of the uh, a piece of the act in which they have to elaborate, they have to further specify what they're going to do to comply with it. And you say, fine. And then they go off and they do all those things, but nothing actually changes because somehow it's not enough. Does the commission have the opportunity to come back for a second go? Can it be an iterative process, this, this specification? of how companies will comply with this. Yeah, I see what you mean. Well, first of all, um, yes, there will be room for a dialogue um, with the ultimate objective to specify some of the modalities of compliance, but but it will not just be a bilateral conversation. There is, is room there and, and we have every intention and interest also to test some of those modalities with, for example, the business users. and for which this is meant to create an opportunity to interoperate, for example, with, with um, the core platform service. So it will not just be a bilateral conversation, it will be, be market tested and it, 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 um, the actual users will be able to express views on whether this works not just on paper, but can work also in, in, in reality. And I think that, that the gatekeepers have every interest in and checking that and having that dialogue with their customers to a certain extent also first before they come and present it to us as a workable solution in terms of implementing some of the of the obligations. Um, but then once that um, a specification decision is there, I think you, you're very right to point out that it can be an iterative process. Uh, of course, we will want, um, when we specify such modalities in the decision, 
we will want to be reassured that they can be effective. And that burden is also very explicitly on the gatekeeper to demonstrate that the way it complies with the obligations is, is effective. Um, but, but if that were not to be the case, because perhaps also circumstances might change, then there is a possibility to, to review that decision and, and, and to adjust it. So in that sense, um, I think indeed the, the process of specification of the modalities, but in general, the whole enforcement of the DMA will be an, an iterative uh, process. Because new gatekeepers could emerge after all. New gatekeepers may emerge, absolutely, but, but also circumstances may change. This is a fast-moving sector, and, and therefore what is an effective method of compliance with an obligation today may no longer be so effective tomorrow. And, and the DMA explicitly leaves the possibility then to, to adjust the modalities or, or to change uh, the enforcement action. It, it will not be a one-off. In that sense, uh, I think that that's sometimes a difficulty in the merger control process where there is a one-off uh, to get it right with the remedies that you impose. I think here we, we are engaging on a regulatory journey that, that will be an ongoing process. And, and we will also, as Commission, have the opportunity to, to adjust. And I think that should be reassuring to, to gatekeepers as well as um, making them aware that the, the interest may be trying to move around the rules might not be the most effective strategy because the, the rules as such are also designed to be more flexible. So it would be interesting to see how it evolves. I've, I've got a comment which I have to make, which is not a question, um, but just when you refer to market testing and so on in the process of the specification of these of these obligations, one of the things about this sector is that they can do real testing. Mm -hmm. um, as you've probably seen from, from some of the cases, you can get what's called around here in Silicon Valley A-B tests, which they can actually just put out different, different solutions to randomly selected groups of customer. And I very much hope like I said, it's a comment, not a question. Very much hope the Commission will be able to use that sort of evidence in in this decision making because it's, it's tremendously powerful. These randomised patrol trials, I think, because I've gone missed. Um, I've been fascinated working with people from the tech sector to to use some of those techniques. Anyway, I just wanted to finish this discussion by maybe asking you about the sort of immediate plans for the future. You sketched out quite a quite a long term plan in in your answer to that last question, but we're now in January twenty twenty three. The DMA is there on the books, but it's not yet active. I'm maybe not using the right right words. What are the sort of milestones from from here out before the DMA is, if you like, fully having its effect in the markets and and, and in the lives of European consumers? Yeah, the first thing uh, you're right. There's a lot, of course, of, of preparatory work uh, to be done also on our side, and some of that is is just getting ready for enforcement, putting the staff in place, uh, recruiting them. Uh, the right expertise and, and all of that is is uh, ongoing. But also in terms of legal framework, uh, what we are currently working on is an implementing regulation that sets some of the details of the processes that, for example, also uh, lays down the notification form that uh, companies will have to use um, when they notify uh, to us that they meet the criteria of being uh, designated as a, as a gatekeeper. Uh, we have um, launched a public consultation on that in December. It closed in the meantime, so we're now going through the, the replies and then we'll, we'll discuss that with experts from the member states and hope to put that implementing regulation in place uh, around April. And then on the 2nd of May, the DMA will enter into force and that will give the companies who have 
the time to do their self-assessment. And um, if they meet the criteria for designation on the basis of the quantitative uh, thresholds, they need to inform us by the beginning of July and we will be busy over summer and looking uh, at those notifications and designating uh, the gatekeepers. Once designated, the companies have six months to, to comply. But uh, in the meantime, of course, we are already kind of in discussions with them to help them understand uh, the processes to to discuss what would be expected in terms of notifications. And, and that's a process that we will also continue once they are designated um, to help them understand the implications and build up an ongoing dialogue with, with the designated gatekeepers, but also with others in the sector to make sure that, that we, on the one hand, are there to provide information. On the other hand, that we are also ready and that we we will be looking for, for, for signals. Of course, that's an open question to us um, what the attitude of the gatekeepers will be. Uh, will there be a, a mindset of compliance um, or will there be a mindset of litigation? Uh, that's something that the ball will be to a large extent in, in their court. Uh, and I think as often uh, we hope for the best, we hope for the compliance. We do think the incentives are there for gatekeepers to comply, but we also ready to, uh, to enforce if necessary. I suspect that different potential gatekeepers have slightly different attitudes to that question. Anyway, it sounds like you're going to be very busy over the next year, so thank you very much for taking the time. Pleasure, thank you. Thanks, Anna. Thank you. You listened to an episode of Antitrust Code by Concurrence. If you want to read more about this topic, check the Concurrence website where you can find all relevant articles. Follow us on Twitter at Competition Laws and join the Concurrence Group on LinkedIn to receive updates on our next podcast.